All right, we're in a fun series that we started last week. It's a series of talks that we're doing here at VMA called uh, The Naked Truth. Uh, and really what we're doing is we're looking at a biblical perspective on romance and relationships. And we feel like this is an important topic for the church to talk about because, honestly, it's been taboo for too long. Um, something that, that's been hard to talk about or maybe even been avoided or maybe even been misrepresented. Uh, and, and we need to dive into it. And here at VMA, we have a, a value here, and it's this, is that God's word is our authority. And we believe that, that if God's word says it, that's what we're going to do, that we submit to God. We believe God. And if God is the God who created it all, then that means he also created romance and relationships. And, and last week we asked, we, 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 we talked about, I, in fact, I had someone, just thinking about this, I had someone ask me after, after last Sunday, they saw what we preached on and they weren't even here. They just, it was one of those like backseat quarterback things. Someone sent me a Facebook message and, and, and they asked me, they said, why would you preach on that in church? Why would you be talking about romance, relationships, sex, dating, singleness? Like, that, would that not be more fitting to talk about that privately with people as opposed to publicly? And, and as I was thinking about it and I kind of respond, I, I just immediately, this came to me. It's like, if our culture is going to sexualize everything and try to define everything by preferences, desires, and their own interpretations, then as a church, we must talk about it, especially since the God that we worship is the God that created these things. So if the God that we worship is the God that created sex and sexuality and romance and dating and, and marriage and all those things, then shouldn't we look to his word and allow him to define it for us? And so because of that, that's why we're talking about this. That's why we're diving into this. So we want to look to God's word on all these things and find out his intentions by, by diving into his word. And I, I believe this. I believe that God has a divine plan for you, for your relationships, for your sexuality, for your life. And I want to challenge you today as we dive into today's topic and the rest of the series. I want to challenge you today to do this, to trust God with your life even the relationship side of it. I know a lot of us, man, we trust God with our eternity. Like we want to go to heaven. We don't want to go to hell. Like that's an easy one. Like someone tells me like, hey, John, all you have to do is believe and you can go to heaven. Yep, I'm in. That sounds good. Like what I got to do? Nothing. He did it all for you. Hey, that's even better. Hey, hey, I'm in on that. Get out a jail free card. I'll stack some of those and hide them for when it comes back around, you know, Monopoly. You know, like that's easy. But I think it's a little more difficult when not when we trust God with our salvation but when we trust God with our life here today. And so this series, hopefully it'll challenge you in some ways and go, not just what do I believe, but what does God's word say? And how do I allow that to shape my beliefs in the context of romance and relationships? So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. God, today I pray as we dive into your word and when we, we hit this next topic, God, that you would speak to us. God, that you would reveal to us your desires for us. God, that you'd help us. God, to know that you love us and to fall in love with you more, and God, pursue you and your ways and your will for our lives. God, because we know this, that if your word says it and we live it, God, we're going to find a blessed life. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're talking about singles, singleness. Um, and, and so if you're married, don't think like, hey, I'm out of this. I just, I'm going to jump out and, and I'm going to just, you know, search, uh, search Facebook, maybe play some Candy Crush. Uh, so I'm a little bit late to the game. My wife's been playing Candy Crush for, I don't know, like 10 years now. She's like on level 2,000. And I've been like addicted to Candy Crush, and I'm like on level 200 and something. So if I was bored right now, that's what I would be doing. But I'm going to challenge you not to do that, 
Because I think even if you're married, even if you're dating, even if you're saying, John, I'm not single, I promise you there's some principles in this that, will, that if you apply it to your life as an individual, because even though you may not be single today, here's the truth, every one of us are individuals. Every one of us has our own identity. We have our own perspectives. We have our own life experiences. We have our own pain. And we see the world through our lens. And so if you would open up your perspective a little bit, I promise you some things that God will show you today too. But singleness, let's talk about this. According to current population survey, uh, the current population survey, there's 117.9 117 million adults who are currently single. 117.9 million adults. And this is in the U.S., that are currently single. This could be single, this could be widowed, this can be divorced. This is just a, uh, single adults. That from last year, uh, just a year ago, that's up. It was 115.8 million. So our population, the reason I'm talking about this today, you're like, John, why are you talking about this as church? Why don't you just talk about marriage? Because I, what I'm recognizing is that this number is not going down, it's going up. And so there's many of you today that are single. There's many of you today that are finding yourself single. Maybe it wasn't your intention 5, 10, 20 years ago, but now you're here. And then there's many of you today that you're choosing that. Like you're saying like, hey, this is okay. I'm okay with this. I'm comfortable with this. And maybe even some of you feel called to that. So that's important for us to talk about. The current U.S. population is 328.2 million people. So 117.9, 328.2, almost half of our population is single. That's pretty crazy. So it's important for us to talk about. I'm just kind of building a little framework on why we're talking about this today. Less than half, less than half of American singles are dating. So if less than half of the, uh, if, if half the population is single and less than half are dating, what that tells me is there's a lot of people who don't really have a plan right now to maybe find that special someone. Like you're not pursuing it. You're not actively looking. You're okay being single. And so if that's okay, and I believe it is, then let's talk about it. Let's talk about what does God's word talk about that? Does God's word talk? I believe it does. We're going to look at some different things in here. In fact, this is, this is a different statistic. I thought this was kind of, kind of interesting. Right now, currently, there's 26.6 million people using the dating apps right now. 26.6 million people in the U.S. Uh, so roughly just a little less than a quarter of these people are currently on dating apps. So even though they might not be dating, they're looking. <laughs> They're, they're swiping right. They're, they're on Tinder. They're on whatever. They're trying to find that special someone, and, and they're looking. So, so what I know is that there's a lot of single people. That's what this tells us. It tells us that there's a lot of single people who are okay with being single, and then there's some that are looking. And so we're going to keep looking into this. So this whole series, we've been doing two things. We've been looking at myths. So the idea of this series is the naked truth. It is God's word give us truth about romance and relationships. And if it does, then what's the opposite of that? Well, it's the myth. So here's the first myth for us today when we're talking about singleness, is this. I'd be married if I were more dot, dot, dot. I'd be married if I were more dot, dot, dot. I remember the first time I went to a like real barber shop, like not, I used to go to this, this, I, this, is, this is how like just normal like white guy dad I am. I used to just go to the, the Walmart and just let whoever was there cut my hair at the master cuts or whatever was in there. And whatever it turned out like with, I was like, okay, my hair goes pretty quick. It's just what it is. And then all of a sudden, I was like, hey, I start seeing some like cool pictures of pastors. Like they had cool haircuts. I was like, hey, I want one of those haircuts. Like that looks cool. And so I took it into my Walmart barber or salon. It was not a barber. It was always ladies. And I took it in there. I was like, can you do this? And she's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, she couldn't do it. Um, 
It was, I mean, it was so lopsided I walked with a limp. I mean, it was like my head was heavier on one side than the other. And what was, well, like the cool thing, this was years ago, was like the fade, right? To get the, the fade on the, the, the old military cut, but now people are starting to do it again. And so that's what I tried to do. And so I was like, man, if I'm going to get a good fade, like where do I need to go? And this is, keep in mind, this is like 10 years ago. All barbershops get fades now. But 10 years ago, I was like, I got to go find a barbershop. So I started looking online and I was like, man, where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? And I had a buddy I remembered from high school and he said he was cutting hair and his name was Josh and he was super cool, dude. Uh, one of my, one of my really good friends from high school, we like played pickup ball and stuff like that. And so I was like, Hey Josh, I Facebook message him. Where's your barbershop? Tell me it's on the North side of town. I get there and it's like, have you ever seen the movie barbershop? Like it was like that. Like there was like 10, 15 black dudes all sitting around telling stories. It was loud. Everyone was cutting up. TVs were blaring. They had a, a jar. Josh was a Christian, good, good, good guy. And they had a jar in the middle. It was a cussing jar. And guys came prepared to put money in because they wanted to be able to cuss. I mean, so I saw as Josh was cutting hair, they're like throwing money in. Like, hey, I, hold on, they got something. They explicitive, and they'd walk right up. They came prepared with cash, ready to cuss. I mean, it was like the movie Barbershop. And so, man, I get my, my hair cut, I get this fade cut, and he, man, they did it right. It looked like I felt so proud in that moment. Like, I felt like, man, this is, this is a cool haircut. Like, I've arrived. Like, now I just got to find people to listen to me preach. Like, you know, so I got the skinny jeans. I got the fade. Like, I'm good. I'm ready to go rock and roll now. And then, so, but what I did is, and, and maybe you've done this before, is when I walked in, I, I showed Josh a picture of somebody that I wanted my hair to look like. Have you ever done that before? Like, show up, like, and he's like, here's the picture, here's what I want it to look like. And so he did it. And he, like, he did a great job. But then as I was, like, getting out to my car, and I was, like, trying to take selfies, like, and it's, it's hard to take a selfie of a fade. I don't know if you've ever, it's like trying to get the side of your head but not look at it. It's weird. And so I'm, like, I re- I'm recognizing this, that I did not look anything like the guy I just took a picture of. And in fact, as I'm, like, looking at my pictures I'm taking, I'm, like, man, I, you know, I've got a beard. This guy had a beard. But, man, he had that chiseled Superman chin. And I've got more of like a soft, round, dad bod chin. Like it just kind of elongated. And then I was like, man, this guy's got like a great tan. And I've got this like olive rough complexion. And, and like I'm, I'm looking at all these things. And then this guy's got this tattoo sleeve. And his guns are like popping out of his shirt. And I'm like, man, I don't have that either. Guess I got to go get tattoos. got to start working out. And then I, got, I don't have to get something about my chin. And what, this is what I recognize is that in that moment, and maybe you've done this too, like you compared yourself to someone else. And you got as far as you thought you could go. You did everything you thought you could do, yet in the end, you still weren't them. Like, you're still disappointed. You're still, like, looking at it. And I think sometimes we do this when it comes to, to, to marriage and dating. If I, if I'd be married if I were more like this. If I had more money, or if I had a better job, or if I looked like her, or if I had that family, or if I was in that people group. Or if I went and did those kind of things or hung out at those kind of places or if I was involved in this thing socially or if I, if I did this more, if I did this less. If I only looked more like this, if I shaped like that or had that tan or had that complexion or had that six pack or that height or whatever it may be. I think sometimes the myth is I think we think we would be married if we had more of what we look like other people and we look at other people. And the, trouble, the problem with trying to find your fulfillment in the shape, style, looks, experience of other people is that you're never going to fit. Like your, your puzzle piece is never going to fit in theirs because you're not them. And in fact, this is, this is a, a truth for you today. Whatever you give the power to make you, whatever you give the power to make you also has the power to break you. You know, and so whenever you're looking at other people and you're like, I want to be like that, 
And when you start comparing yourself and contrasting yourself, what happens is not only do you start maybe leaning that way, but it also has the ability to, to undercut you. Just like me, when I got the haircut and I started looking, and I was like, man, that looks so good. I'm ready to go. And then all of a sudden, I was like, no, I don't quite look like that guy. And I start A, B in the pictures, like, nope, that's not anything like. So oftentimes, we could find ourselves in this kind of like, a tornado, the spiral of like trying to be like this or thinking if I was like that, then thinking I could maybe have this or maybe find this. But I know this, I'll never find contentment in the identity of someone else. I'm never going to find this place of happiness and joy when I'm trying to be someone else. So what's the truth? What's the truth? The truth is this. You are exactly who God created you to be. You are exactly who God created you to be. Genesis 1.27 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God made you after his image. God made you after his image. Psalms 139.13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So before you even stepped forth on this earth. Before you were even born, God purposefully and intentionally designed you how you are. And so think twice before you start looking in the mirror thinking, I wish I was more like this, or I wish I had more of that, or I wish I was more fit, or I wish I had this, or I wish I could be that, and comparing yourself to other people. Because when you do, you might be stripping the very thing that God gifted you to be. You may be stripping down the person that God created you to be. God made you. He formed you. He knitted you. He has a purpose for you. In fact, Ephesians says this, for we are his workmanship. What does that mean? Another translation says that, that, that he crafted us. That means God is the ultimate creator. Everything that we see on the earth, God created. Every beautiful thing, every tall mountain, every, every tree, every different flower, every different animal. You can see the, just the, master, the masterful tapestry that God has created. Sunsets in Kansas, man, there's nothing that beats that. So beautiful. And so same God that created all of that, Pick, pick specific things in, in his design of you. You are his workmanship. He crafted you. He knit you together. Before you're even born, God said, I want you a little more like this, and I'm going to make you a little more like that. And where the world is saying you need to look like this if you want to have this, God is saying, no, 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 no. I made you this way, and here's what you're going to go do. And so we, we, we pursue this shape, this size, this style, this, this platform of thinking this is the way I need to go. And God's going, no, 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 I've got something unique, specific for you. In fact, it goes on to say that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So his workmanship, God crafted, knit you for good works. He has a purpose for you. The way we say it around here is that God made you on purpose. His workmanship, he made you on purpose created in Christ Jesus for good works, for a purpose. So God made you on purpose for a purpose. And then it goes on to this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God made you on purpose for a purpose. And then here's the key here. Now walk it out. Now walk it out. But we can't walk it out if we're stuck right here. God has a plan. He has a purpose for us. He has a calling for us. He has a mission for us right here. God's got, it doesn't matter if you're married, single, God's got something for you. But too many of us are stuck here. We never get here. We're stuck looking at our workmanship going, God, did, God messed up here. <laughs> like, I, he should have done more of this. And God, man, if, if I could go back and like, we, we, we want a God that like can, can Botox us. Like we're like looking for a God that can like liposuction us. And like, God, if you would have done this better, then maybe I would have this. 
When God is saying, no, 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 no. I made you. I created you. I fashioned you. I love you. I have a purpose for you. I have a calling for you. When you find your identity in him, how he created you, then you'll start to step in those good works and fulfill the mission that God's got on your life. So, your worth can only be determined by your creator. Your worth can only be determined by your creator. John 3.16, famous scripture. For God so loved the world. You guys know it? For God so loved the world, say it with me, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Many of you have heard that scripture. It's on hats. Tebow used to wear it on a sticker on his face till he got in trouble. There was a wrestler who did the 316. Um, not quite the same 316, I don't think. But, uh, but he, I, like, there's a bunch of people that are into wrestling in Kansas. I'm finding this out. Like, a, a bunch of wrestling people, you guys like WWE, NWO. Like, I watched it way back in the day, like Hulk Hogan. I don't know anything that's going on anymore, but that's what I used to watch. Um, he's like 60 now and still looks exactly the same. Talk about Botox. Um, so your words can only be determined by your creator. So that, what that tells us is that if God created us, then he put a value on us. He put an inherent value on us. In John 3, 16, God loves you so much that he sent his son, that whosoever. So God loves you so much that he sent his son, that whosoever, not to the tall, dark, and handsome. God sent his son so that whoever, that means you, means God gave his most precious gift for you. He gave you value, and you can, you, can, you can know that God values you by what he's invested into you. You can know that God loves you by what he's given you. In fact, you can measure that in relationships, too. You can tell by the way someone feels about you by how much they've invested into you, by how much they've given you, by how much they prefer you over themselves. And no one has done this better than God when he sent Jesus to this earth for you. So today, I want you to hear this, single people, married people, dating people, whoever you may be, you have value in the eyes of God. You are his workmanship. God created you on purpose, and he has a purpose for you. So second myth, keep going today. Single means alone. Single means alone. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. Thank you, babe. Um, Jim, Jim Gaffigan is one of my favorite, favorite comedians. I'm chasing a rabbit here. I probably shouldn't, but it's really funny. He says, if you're getting in a hammock with someone, you better be dating them. <laughs> you ever gotten in a hammock with someone? You're spooning, okay. So, <laughs> now I'm in trouble. I was like, you should not have said that. That's funny. If you get in a hammock, he said, one time I got in a hammock with my cousin and he still won't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> so two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone cannot be attacked or can be attacked. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But I love this picture. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So being single, it may mean you're not married, but it doesn't have to mean that you're alone. It may mean that you're not in a relationship with someone, but it doesn't mean that you need to live life alone. In fact, God's desire is not for any of us to be alone. 
In fact, from the very beginning of all mankind, God told Adam, we talked about this last week, it's my desire that no man should be alone. And I think oftentimes we just place that scripture over married people and we think, well, that's God's desire for me. And it may very well be that God's desire. God may have a desire and a purpose for you to be married. But what he's really saying there, let's take it for what it says, that God desires and God recognizes it's not good for anyone to be alone. So single people, you, you don't have to be alone. I was, I was thinking about this the other day. I love watching National Geographic. My oldest son loves watching them like the river monster and different things like that, fishing and hunting and different things like that. And, and we're watching one day and they're watching this, uh, the, the lions. And I don't know if you know this, but the female lions are the ones that do like all the hunting. Like the male lions are kind of lazy and they just kind of hang out. They look cool. I mean, they look mean, but the female lions are the ones that get the job done. All right, so that's right. Someone just amen me here. Um, and so that's not the right spot. Wait, I've got something for you. Amen in a second. But so what, what I was watching this, and there, there was like this. There was these, uh, these antelope, and they were running through, and, and there was all these lines, and they were kind of hunkered down, and this lioness was hunkered down. And there's like a big herd of them, but she didn't go after the herd. She waited and waited and waited, and all of a sudden there was one antelope that kept just like poking around. It was just like walking around. I was like, oh, there's some little grass right here. And it's like, oh, there's my people. I'll catch up. I'm fast. I can run. And, you know, it kept poking around, kept poking around. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you see this lioness crouch down. And she starts creeping in real slow. And, man, sure enough, and you know how it ends, she got the, got the thing, tore it up. We turned the channel because it started getting gruesome. But, but there's a principle here that, that, that when you're alone, that, that's when the enemy finds you. In fact, the enemy waits and stalks and preys on those who are alone. In fact, we know this psychologically that, that most people that fall into temptation or habits, that they do it when they're tired, they do it when they're frustrated, and they do it when they're alone. The enemy knows that. He, he wants to wear you down. He wants you to be exhausted emotionally and physically. He wants to separate you and, and maybe even make you frustrated with work or friends or different things like that because he knows once he gets those two things, you're going to find yourself alone. When you're tired and you're frustrated, you don't want to be around people. You know, like, you don't want to go hang out. Someone says, hey, you want to come over? Like, we're going to watch some Netflix. Like, nope, not doing it. I'm, I'm ticked off at the world. I'm going to pout at my house. The enemy's got you right where he wants you. In fact, isolation leads to destruction. And the enemy knows this. And so think about this. Eve in the garden. We started back in Genesis. Eve in the garden. Who is she with when she took the bite of the first fruit? Where was Adam? He wasn't around. She was alone. David. On the top of the palace, he finally becomes king, and he says, has everything that God had ever promised him and more. And he's there, and all the guys, all his armies are off to war, and they're fighting this war. And David, he decides he's, gonna, he's fought enough battles, he's killed enough Philistines, he's proven himself enough, I'm going to stay home alone. And he's up, up, hanging on the rooftop, and he sees someone taking a bath. And he goes, hey, bring that, bring that, that, that good-looking girl up here. And David makes a big mistake. You see, the enemies, we see it in the Bible and we see it in our own lives, that the enemy works when we're alone. And so today I want to challenge you, this is, this is, this is a totally a commercial, but you should be in a small group. Uh, you should totally be in a small group because you need to have people that you're connected with, not just that you're like, I go to church with those people, but people that have the same values of you. People that want to see you do your best. This is, this is what I love about small groups. Small groups and, and, and Christian communities, they accept you for who you are, but they challenge you to become who God's called you to be. They, they, they've seen behind the veil and they still like you. They, they've heard about the stuff that you're going through. They know the struggles that you have and they still pick up the phone and text you the next day. 
and say, how are you doing? How did you handle that? How are you moving in this direction? Hey, can I pray for you? Hey, I was reading a scripture and I thought about you. You need to have those kind of relationships and you need to jump in a group because the enemy loves to find you alone. So what's the truth? Truth is this. God wants relationships for you and with you. So the, the, the myth is that singles is that single means alone. The truth is this, is that God wants relationship with you and for you. Single may be the label your relationship, has, your relationship status has, but it doesn't have to define your belonging. It may be your current relationship status. It may be what you would put, if you remember Facebook, used to have that relationship status thing that you can pick, and now they can't do it because it's too complicated. There's like 80 different options you can have for your relationships. It's just whatever you want to be, define it, create a word for it, hashtag it, now you've made something. Cool. And so it used to, I remember that. We used to like can scroll through hashtag, and there's like you know, a couple options. What's your relationship status? And so single, that may be your relationship status, but it doesn't have to define your belonging and your belonging with God. Hosea says this, and this is a picture uh, of God's love and desire to be in relationship with us. He says, and I will make you my bride forever. I will make you my bride with goodness and justice, with love and with mercy. I will make you my faithful bride, meaning this, that God won't step out on you. God's not going to leave you when it gets rough. God's not done with you when you don't do everything his way. God is the best bride. He's the best relationship. He's the, the best friend you can have. And this says this, then you will really know the Lord. This is, this is God's perspective towards us. This is what God wants for us. He wants to be in a relationship with us. Have you ever heard the phrase, I'm just dating Jesus right now? Have you ever heard that phrase? I've heard it said all the time when I was growing up in church and stuff all the time. People say, I'm just dating Jesus right now. And I always thought it was kind of weird because I was like, what are you going to do? You got God, let's go to Olive Garden. It's my treat. <laughs> but you got to pick breadsticks or, or the salad or the soup because I'm not paying for both because they charge you if you do both. Like, so God, let's go to Olive Garden. And man, I, there's this new movie out. Wait, can't go to movies. Uh, hey, we're going to watch uh, something on my iPad in the car in the driveway. You know, like, like what, what are we doing now? Is that what we do for dates now? I don't know. The, the, all the movie theaters are shut down. You know, and so, and then we think like, okay, God, you know, like, you know, it's get, our relationship's getting a little bit serious, so let's just, let's go to the keeper of the planes and walk around when the fire shoots off and maybe get someone to take our picture, you know, in the light, kind of. You know, like, well, what does dating Jesus look like? And what is that, like, is that a real thing? And, and it's kind of funny, I, I think. And, uh, you know, what, what is, so what is God looking for? If this is, like, God, this is God saying, I want to have an intimate relationship with you. So what does that mean? What does that mean to, to be in an intimate relationship with God? How crazy is it this? Let me ask you this question. How crazy is it this, that the God of the universe wants to know you like this? That he wants to, the God of the universe who created, who could just sit back and watch, sit back, pull back the recliner on the lazy boy and say, man, this is incredible. Good job. I'm going to take a breather. I'm just going to watch all these incredible things that I've done and created. But no, God cares about you intimately and personally. And so God wants to have a relationship with you. What does that mean? Really simple. God wants to talk to you. God wants to see you. God wants to hang out with you. It's the same kind of things that you would pursue in a relationship with others. The, same, the God of the universe wants to have those type of experiences with you. He wants to meet together in groups and parties and things like that, like at church. He wants to spend time with you one-on-one -on -one and getting to know you. He's got all kinds of incredible information and, and wisdom that he wants to impart to you, that, that, that he's got thousands of years worth of stuff that he's, that he's written, and he wants you to, to see and experience 
And I've asked, someone's asked me this before. How does God speak to you? I think God speaks to you three ways, and this isn't in your notes. This is just free for today. I think God speaks through his word. I think God speaks right here. And so if you want to hear from God, open this up, and God will speak to you. I think God speaks through his own self. I think that God can speak to your spirit. I think, obviously, in the Bible, we've seen where God's even spoken audible words to Moses and different people. So God can speak, and you can hear him, you can feel him, you can know him. And I think God speaks through his people. And so be around people that, that know God and know his word because God often speaks to you through them. And so if you want to hear from God, if you want to have a relationship with God, if you're, if you're saying, John, I'd like to have some of that today, I'd start right here. Start in his word. God's already spoken. He's already speaking, and he's still speaking. Every time I open this up, I see something new. I learn something new. I experience something new about God. God speaks through his people. So be in church, be in groups, be in relationships with people. And then God speaks to his own self. Like you can pray and ask God. God, what would you want me to do? And you may get a sense in your spirit or a word from God, or God might lead you to a specific scripture that he would lead you and guide you. That's free. So let's keep moving. Psalms 37, 14 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So what if you're single and you want, you want to date? What if you're single and you want to be married? Is this, what, this scripture just saying, like, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart? What if you want a BMW? What if you want an Audi? Like, so if I delight myself, let's, let's back this up, because I've heard this preached this way, that if you, if you worship God, if you delight yourself in God, he'll just give you what you want. But let's, let's, let's back this up a little bit and process this. Delight yourself in the Lord. So if I find myself in God's word, in God's presence, finding myself being shaped and changed and growing in relationship with him, if I find myself in intimacy with him, just like I find myself in intimacy with my wife. If I find myself talking to her, hanging out with her, having conversations with her, sharing frustrations with her, parenting with her, sharing frustrations with her, parenting with her, sharing frustrations, parenting with her. That's what parenting is all right now. We got a teenager. You know, so we're in this like circle, like we find ourselves having these intimate conversations and stuff. Then what happens when we find ourselves in intimacy, when we find ourselves in relationship with God? It says, then God will give you the desires of your heart. Do you think it's possible that if you find yourself in a relationship, it may change your desires? And so too many times we come with this, we come with thinking like it's a magical exchange. Like if I just come and read my Bible, I'm going to get that Audi, I'm going to get that Beamer, I'm going to find that special someone, I'm going to get married. Like, God, I'm going to read my Bible today, and when I go to Reverie Coffee Shop, you're going to, you're going to like put this halo over this person, I'm going to go talk to him, that's the one. You know, like, it's, David's like, amen. He's like, hey, that works. Uh, you know, and sometimes we, we approach this like this, like if we follow God a little bit, he's just going to give us. No, I think what happens is when we fall in love with God, this thing begins to shift and change. And what we think we want may not actually be what we need. And when we find ourselves in the presence of God, God starts moving us, changing us, shaping us for good. Not just because he's like a, like a, a, a Debbie Downer, like trying to yank away all of our fun. No, God wants the best things for you. In fact, the greatest things you're ever going to find are led to you by God. The, the greatest things that you're ever going to embrace in your life, your relationships, your anything that you may find, all of those things we know from Scripture, every good thing that we get comes from God. So if I want the best of what God has for me, maybe I should start by finding God himself. And so let's keep moving. That's not even really in my notes. I just got fired up there. Myth. Single's ultimate goal is to get married. That's a myth. Single's ultimate goal is to get married. In fact, it's been said that the highest form of relationship is marriage. Or to be married is normal. Or singleness means incomplete. I think all three of those things are false. Yeah. I don't think the highest form of relationship is marriage. 
think the highest form of relationship is having an intimate relationship with God. To be married is not normal. I'm married. I'm not very normal. <laughs> Get to know me a little bit. It's not normal. Singleness means incomplete. I don't think that's true either. Because I don't think we find our completion through any one specific person. I think we find our completion in the identity that Christ has given us as individuals. And those of you who have been married for a while, you know that to be true. You may have walked into marriage thinking, man, once I get married, this is all going to be amazing. Like, I'm going to, those things I've kind of struggled with, I'm never going to do those again. And like, I'm gonna, it's going to be a new day, a new me. Like, my last name's going to change. Mine didn't. Hers changed. Um, but that's not uncommon nowadays. Like I said, everything goes right now. And so, like, all these things are changing. Like, I'm turning a page, and it's all going to be a brand new me. But if you've been married for any length of time, you know that's not necessarily the case. In fact, marriage often reveals the brokenness at an exponential rate. Like, being married, you start recognizing these things I kind of hid for a while. Now they're being blown up out of proportion, and I got to deal with them. And if I don't, I may hurt somebody. I may hurt my spouse. I may hurt the people I love. So let's look at this. 1 Corinthians 7. Last scripture for you today. I wish that all were as myself. I wish that all were as I myself am. Thanks, Paul. That was a hard sentence to read. (laughs) Um, I wish that all were as myself am. I wish that all were as I myself am. It's like you got to find the right like cadence for this. I'm not trying to do poetry, Paul. Just want to read God's word. All right. So what Paul's saying is, I'm single, okay? But each of you has his own gift. Yeah, why can't you just say that? I wish all of you were single. I am. That's, that's Paul, I need, to, I need to help you with this here. But each of you has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So some people are married, some people are not married. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul gives us a really, a really simple perspective right here that being single is okay. In fact, he doesn't even say it's okay. Like, if you can't get married, I guess that's okay. No, he says singleness can be celebrated. Singleness has a purpose. Singleness has potential, is what, is what Paul said. Singleness has a mission. Like, Paul is, is painting a picture for us here. He says, I know not all of you can. Some of you need to get married because you can't keep that stuff under control and need to find a place for it. But those of you who can, man, I, I want to tell you about what can happen. Like, I want to tell you about the, the possibility if you don't have to share your time, if you don't have to share your desserts, if you don't have to, <laughs> if you're married, you know, sharing desserts is not a thing. Like, I, I ask my wife this often, like, when we go, it's like, do you, she's like, I just like a bite. It's like, do you want, like, more than one bite? Because if you want more than one bite, I'll just buy you your whole one. And if you don't eat it all, it's okay. We'll just take one home. It's like, no big deal. No, I just want a bite. It's never just a bite. It's never just a bite. Just bite. Guys, I'm telling you right now, take this, write this in the back of your notes here. Just write, sharing is not 50-50 in marriage. Just write it down. That's not what it is. So, so Paul's saying it's okay to be single. Not it's okay to be single. It's celebrated. It has a purpose. But he's also saying this. I think it's important that you take the time to learn to be single and to learn to be who God's called you to be while you are single. Too many people feel like they're missing out on God's plan because they're not married. But maybe they're missing out because they're not participating in God's plan now. Too many people feel like they're missing out because they're not married. But maybe they're missing out because they're not participating in God's plan now. 
God has a plan for you right now. Singleness is often a gift we don't know how to value in its time. Like I can remember being single, making pretty good money. I was managing a clothing retail store and met my wife and we started dating. And, and man, I wanted to spend every minute with her. And I lived at home and she lived at home. So to spend every minute means we had to be somewhere else. And so what we did is we went out to eat a lot. I mean, like every single meal, every single day. I mean, maybe I would eat a Pop-Tart on the way out the door for breakfast, but lunch and dinner was with her somewhere, and Olive Garden was like one of our places. Like, we hit a lot. Well, Olive Garden's not cheap. Like, if I could go back and just our year of dating, have half of the money we spent at Olive Garden, I'd be a very wealthy man right now. (laughs) I mean, we've often talked about this. Like, how many things could we buy? Like, I could buy, I could just go buy a car. I could pay cash for a car out of the two years that we dated and were engaged. I could just go pay cash for something. Like I could just walk in. I could own a computer. I could have bought that acoustic guitar I've always wanted. That was like $5,000. Could have just walked in and bought it one day. But no, we had to go to Olive Garden every other night. You know, like, <laughs> eat the breast sticks and rolls. So like, singleness is not often a gift that we value until it's gone. We don't recognize that moment and that the opportunity that God's given us in this season to grow, to mature, to be on purpose, to be on mission. Man, I love doing missions work. It's really hard for me to do missions work, being married and have four kids. It's really hard for me to be gone for a week or two weeks. We have a girl from our church just a couple weeks ago went on the, uh, is it something race? World race, race. yeah. And she's like going to be gone for like nine months doing missions work all over the world, starting here and doing training. I can't do that. If I did that, I'd be divorced, all right? It just wouldn't happen. My wife would be like, you got to take these kids, two of them with you, and I'm going to get to pick the two, you know? (laughs) Like that's the only way that would work. You know, and so, but being single, man, you got, you got flexibility to do some things. And this is what Paul's saying. You have, you have some potential. Paul could just go places. Paul would pray and ask God, can I go here? And God would often say yes, or maybe not now, but later. And Paul, once Paul got the go ahead, he packed his bags and were gone. Like if I get a go ahead, there's got to be conversations. There's got to be planning. There's got to be like getting the vehicles ready, all this kind of stuff. So here's a, uh, just a, a kind of breakdown for you. Singleness is not a holding pattern. It's not just a waiting season where you're just like, ah, I'm just not there yet. It's not that. Singleness is not something to get past. It's not just a season you're just like, I got to get over this. I got to find someone. Singleness is not God holding out on you. I think sometimes we think like, well, I'd be married if God would just send somebody. Like if, if like this, this just didn't work and this relationship didn't work and I did everything I could do right and God's just holding out. It's just not what God wants for me right now. I think that's a myth. But here's the truth. Singleness is a gift. It is. It's a gift. Here's the last truth for us today. Single's ultimate goal is to be who God has called you to be. Single's ultimate goal is to be who God has called you to be. The myth was single's ultimate goal is to get married. The truth is to be who God's called you to be. Is singleness a season? Yeah, it is for many. Is it a choice? Yeah. Many of you says, according to this study, says that only half of you are even trying to date that are single. So is it a choice? Absolutely. Is it a calling? Yeah, it can be to even some. God may be even calling some people to be single and to stay single, to do a great work. It can be any and all of these things. First Corinthians, last scripture for today. says, I want you to be free from the anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please 
his wife. 34, and his interests are divided. So he's got, a, he's got a household, he's got a family, he's got a wife, he's got people he's got to prepare, prepare for and, and provide for and protect. And the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This is why no singleness is a gift. It's an opportunity, unlike any other time in your life, where you can give God your undivided devotion. Where, where there's no one else that you, that you have to fulfill. There's no one else necessarily that you have to, to follow or to protect or to provide for. But you can say, God, what do you want me to do? And with no strings attached, you can go and do all of it uh, how God has called you to do it. It's a, it's a unique moment. What Paul is saying here is that singleness is a gift, that God has a calling specifically in mind for people who are single. It's not better or worse than being married. Don't take it that way, because I love being married, and I wouldn't give that up for anything. I love you, babe. <laughs> so I'm not saying that, because we're planning a church. We're married. we got four kids. God's doing amazing things. It's not that God can't use you if you're married. It's just a unique season. It's not being single. It's not better or worse than being married. Here's what it is. It's unique. And that's how God made each of us. Your life doesn't begin or end when you get married. Your calling is not waiting for someone else. Your calling is not waiting for someone else to fulfill it. What God has called you to do, what God has created you to do, you can do today. You don't need someone else. You don't have to wait for some other part of your story to be developed. Your singleness is not a comma waiting for dating. Datingness is not a comma waiting for engaged. Engaged is not a comma waiting to be married. Singleness is who God's called you to be right now. And if God's called you right there, right now, and if God's given you this place and this season and this moment, then here's my challenge to you. Step into it. To, to embrace it with all that you have. Grow in Christ. Spend time in Christ. Spend time not alone in relationship with others and in fellowship with others. Do not waste your moment. Do not waste your season. Do not waste your specific relational status.